This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Steven. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that the show will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome, you guys. Welcome back to my podcast. I mean, our podcast. Oh, wow. What an energy. What an energy we've started (laughs) with. Um, Well, in all fairness, I'm leading this one, but it's fine. We can still call it ours. Fair enough. Uh, What are you guys drinking this week? Oh, I I am drinking my absolutely, it's my favorite winter tea. It's Bigelow Salted Caramel Black Tea, and it is spectacular. That sounds delicious. I am drinking a Sprite, but it's the spiced winter cranberry flavor. It is so good. Alex and I will clear the shelf of the two liter bottles because it's one of our favorites. Whoa. Is Good it like work. actually spicy tasting? It does have like a spice to it. Yeah, it it is good. Okay. It's very good. I've I, never. I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's Sprite a big is thing. getting creative. Hey, pro tip: it's one of my favorite Thanksgiving drinks. Is just go to go to somewhere like Walmart and get just like the cheap like pack of like mixed fruit tea flavors of whatever the the monstrously popular tea brand that is that just comes in the in the bags right get a 2 yeah. liter of sprite and then cram like five of a single flavor of that tea into the sprite and leave oh, it in what? the fridge leave it in the fridge for like 3 days and open it on thanksgiving it's going to fizz a lot i'll i'll say this it'll fizz a lot but oh my gosh oh. it's one of the most it's like a cold brew fruit tea but it's with Sprite. Oh, that's wonderful. It is truly what? spectacular. You're blowing Josh's mind. My mind's going mind. so many places right now. You are, <laughs> you're telling me, you're telling me you have brewed tea with Sprite. Yes. Yeah, you do it. You, you, you stick the tea in there for like three days. Oh, and oh, okay. It, yeah. Yep. It's cold brew tea and Sprite. Your, I'll take your word for it, my friend. Oh, how this is wonderful. Um, I'm well, I didn't say I, I believed you, but I'll take your word for it. Um, I'm <laughs> drinking this is Thor's Equinox from Odin Brewing Company here in Tequila, Washington. It's a Belgian style dark ale, it's a whopping 9% alcohol content. So if I sound off the rails at any point in this podcast, <laughs> ask me if I'm feeling it. Good, we've got a warning, but it's really delicious. It's like it's it feels like a good fall beer. Absolutely it is. Yeah, dark beer yeah. is meant for winter. Dark beer is not a summer beverage. And it's also like the right amount of spice. So I'm very happy about it. If you can't buy this anywhere, just drink locally. Beautiful. Support local. Beautiful. Um, I had a question for you guys this week that I've been thinking about for a while, but also the last couple weeks especially. Um, a lot of people were like thrown around this word when our new Supreme Court justice was getting sworn in. Do you know what word I'm talking about? I have a hunch. I, I yeah. also have a hunch, but please enlighten us. <laughs> a, a lot of people were throwing around the word originalism or mm-hmm. like the idea of original author's intent. And they were mm-hmm. mostly talking about it applied to the Constitution. Right. But I, in my notes for this, I've actually written down a couple questions that like I've been thinking about the last couple months. And I, I feel like they tie into this idea. Um, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. So I guess I would start us with what in your terms, in your definition, how do you think the idea of originalism applies to the biblical narrative and also Christian tradition? I thought we would start kind of broad. Mm. Josh, do you have an operating definition of originalism that you'd like us to operate under? I think I'm not going to define it for you because I think a lot of people are using it undefined but I also think it kind of speaks for itself, like that there's some idea of the original. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I guess I'll leave it kind of broad like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you feel like it fits into 
the biblical narrative and text and also the tradition? And do they fit into either one of those differently? Oh, Josh. <laughs> mm. This is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic, especially because I think how easily it is to fall into the trap of wanting to hold a document to its original standards, but wanting to be contextual. And yet the, right. and yet the Bible for some reason is like the one that people almost don't want to acknowledge its original intent. Oh, how so? Mm-hmm. So I guess, for example, that? if people like I was notoriously brutalized growing up, especially getting tattoos, you know, people would say, well, that's against the Bible. And I would then enter into conversation of, OK, but do you do you understand why? And all they would say was, well, it's in the Bible and they would have no understanding of contextually what was happening and why they were suggesting not to like mark your body a lot of it was a hygiene standard it was because you could die because they didn't have the medical needs of like taking care of themselves and so if you were to cut yourself um you had to kind of be careful and i think we're just so quick to use scripture and to try to apply to our lives without like fully understanding what was happening in their context when scripture was written is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Cause I've heard a lot of people throw around the phrase, um, especially in the scholarly world that context is King and mm-hmm. that you have to read um, the Bible in according to the context that it was written in, which I think you're absolutely right about, but it makes me think of this other question that, is the idea that context is king and that we have to be contextualized in our Bible reading. Do you think that that is in conjunction with the idea of author's intent? Mm. Or are they like opposed in any way? I don't know if they're opposed, but they may not always be aligned, if that makes sense. Sure. Some author's intent may want to hold on to contextuality while others authors intent may not just necessarily be in line with what is happening at that time and it may try to go in a different direction but i don't know if they would actually be like opposite of one another well here i guess for sake of clarification for example steven's wife dixie has a podcast called authors intent have you listened to an episode? I have, yeah. I listened to the one okay, okay. of the Philosopher's Stone. Okay, yeah, the the Harry Potter. And I like what she does in it because she like juxtaposes the question of what did the author intend writing this fiction book, and then how did this movie interpret the author's intent? Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think it's kind of an interesting similar thing in Christianity because we like have to ask ourselves, what was the intent of the scripture, but then also how are we going to interpret well, the author's intent so I, that in can how be, we do something with it? I think that could be complicated, though. So let's just stay on the realm of like <laughs> modern books. Okay. Just, yeah. Ooh, just okay. Okay. play along. When someone writes a book, they send it to their publisher, it's edited, you know, they send it back, but then that person fixes it and it's still that person's work. That's not the case for the Bible. Right. So wow. I don't I don't really think we know what the author's intent was. Right. I guess that's where my question comes from with is author's intent different from context is king. Well, in this case it would because, be a like, hard can yes. We actually no. <laughs> it would definitely oh, okay, be a okay. hard yes for sure, you know. Okay. The Bible I guess that's that's where my question was coming from was can we have contextualization? You can try. Know, like, you can try. Oh, oh, that's a good point. You can try. Um but I think I don't really know if there is a yes or no answer to that because we are trying to contextualize. That's something that's abstract and at some point can be on a very individualistic level that you can try, but I can't like I can't contextualize something for someone else who is not in my context. Right. That's a good point. 
But I also think that there's a lot of people throughout history that have misused the Bible to mean things that I don't think it means. So I feel like we yes. do have to have an idea of, no, the Bible, like, even if there's like some really ambiguous parts, like it didn't mean that. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Like I heard this, I heard this uh, interview a while back and the the guy being interviewed mentioned, I don't even think the conversation was about this. He just like dropped this nugget out of thin air and I've like latched onto this. He brought up the concept that regardless of whatever whatever truths there are in the Bible that are scientific or historic or biographical, we have to remember that the type of truth that the Bible is trying to communicate is primarily spiritual. Mm. And therefore, like that's the focal point. Sure. That if we, if we as Christians believe that the Bible is leading us to Jesus, it might contain these other types of truth, but that's not what it's primarily concerned with. I like that. I really like that. And so... I think that that helps me make sense of the author's intent, quote unquote, of the Bible. Like, even though there's mm. multiple authors of the Bible. Sure. Like, we can still see it as this narrative that's spiritual. Right. Especially when you have, I'm just thinking, like, the birth narrative. And I know we're going to touch on this at a later episode, but there are three different stories of the birth narrative. There are two right. creation stories. And, I yeah. Or there's four gospels. There's four gospels. How many prophets? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so many. And even like some of the books of the Bible, I'm just thinking of some of Paul's letters. We aren't even 100% sure if he wrote some of them. Right. Like, we don't even know all of the authors. So actually, I like that you brought up the birth narrative and we're like touching on the different gospel perspectives, because I think that's a good example of like none of them. Like, they're all describing the events, but none of them are the original event. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I feel that if someone is trying to make an appeal to originalism and that we have to get to like what the Bible originally meant also has to reconcile the fact that the text in itself is like a description of something else. Exactly. Especially because the Gospels kind of build off of one another. And yet we don't know where the first one built its stories and information from. Right. We really, yeah, we like really don't know. Yeah, the whole Q document thing. Yeah. Oh, I love the Q document. <laughs> not not QAnon, but the Q document, mm-hmm. the original QAnon. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> okay, but so this, this is what also leads me to ask it about the Christian tradition, because there's like more of a linear, I think, there's more of like a linear progression where we can like look back to the original church, like the church in Acts, for instance. And we can be like, that's the original church. Mm. So where do you think the idea of originalism ties into the Christian traditions? Because now we have thousands. Oh. Is context still king there? Like, do, are we still trying to like hearken back to original meaning? That's a good question. Or should we? That's an even better question. Stephen, you're very quiet today. Yeah, I want to hear from Stephen. Stephen hasn't weighed in yet. (laughs) Why, though? It's so obvious to me that you two have been doing a lot more thinking about this than I have. (laughs) So Uh, so now is a chance for you to think. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Stephen, let me ask you more more of a pointed question. I've kept the questions kind of broad. Mm. Do you think that the church today should look like the original church in Acts? Because that was the first church. Mm. Okay. Like, do you think that the fact that it was an original, it was the original form means that that's what we should search for and model after? This, um, I, I think yes. I, what I. Oh, okay. What I like, what I like about the, the early church model, um, you brought up the book of Acts already. What I like about this early church model that we see is we see small, oddly diverse communities gathering around a central act of eating together through sharing the table and sharing even their finances, their time amongst themselves. Like it's a place that gets to celebrate the, the, the wide and deep diversity of Christ in something that seems mundane, right? Like I think the, the best thing about celebrating Eucharist is that a human body has to eat and drink to sustain itself and survive. So when Jesus chooses to claim this bread and this cup as my new covenant formed in my body and blood. It's like, yeah, that's, that's because we're, first of all, your individual bodies need this to sustain itself. But then as we collect ourselves into a body of Christ, 
we're building something new here. And what I like about the early church model that I see in Acts is like Paul can write to a church, but he can't and doesn't, to my knowledge, really address any leader or pastor. Like it's a it's a pretty mm. flat, decentralized model of people collecting themselves together and supporting one another. Um, but they don't necessarily have to create for themselves uh, a little republic in its own right. Like they don't need the the pastor up front doing all the speaking, and they don't need to create all these like these teams or whatever. It's like no, these are just these are just families getting together and making sure their needs are met. What and, I'm hearing you say is, is you want me to get rid of my job? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I think it would be easy to interpret it that way um (laughs) (laughs) and maybe even a couple months ago i would have even said yes but (gasps) but what i think if if a modern church can successfully decentralize enough i guess like this is the classic like small group model and then we collect ourselves on sunday like the way i picture Mm. it is like the church of ephesus was like the small group of Ephesus. And yet right. Paul is right. the guy that they get to encounter every once in a while. And he brings new insights. He sends them letters about things he's hearing about. He he even starts offering other churches updates from churches around them or from other mm-hmm. chur- churches he's partnered with, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, and by right. the way, these brethren over here say hi. I think we get to do that on a Sunday morning if we're doing it right. But it inevitably hmm. just becomes about the Sunday thing, and then we lose the vision of the decentralized sitting sure. around a literal right. table, sharing food, sharing heartache, sharing joy, and right. getting that, that deep sense of community through it. Well, what I'm hearing you say is that you like it. You like the idea of the original church because of the like casualness and the non-institutionalized like beginnings of a religion feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Right. Okay. Um, if you're listening to this, by the way, and you want to hear more about um, where we're at in relating to church, uh, go back and listen to our church in the age of COVID episode. We talked a lot about like the current state of church and where we think it's going. So if, if that topic interests you. Yeah. But Stephen, do you think you like the idea of the original church? because of the fact that it was the original or do you think you mm. just like it because of the like non-institutionalized aspects it's it's like do you think we have to get back to the original quote mm, unquote uh six of one half a dozen of the other i guess I d- <laughs> the, the, sure okay the the institutional stuff bothers me and i think the way that the like the original apostles that's the type of community they set up right and i think uh given their their time and proximity to jesus i think they may have had their their finger on the pulse there you know and i think that's worth paying attention to i think you're right but i this is what's rattling around in my brain the the idea of originalism being applied as a construct to like our constitutional law and like the conversation of author's intent, I think is interesting. But where I hear that more in Christianity is not just about the text itself and not just about um, the Christian tradition and the question of the original church. But I also hear people throwing around the phrase like God's design or God's ideal. Mm. And I think the word original is sometimes in there, but it's often implied. Sure. I don't know. What do you guys think we should do with that? Like, I think that gets thrown around a lot, and I think it gets thrown around a lot casually. And I don't think a lot of people think about the implications one way or the other. Sure. Well, so maybe one thing to do would be to engage in conversation about what those implications could be. Because I think it just kind of comes down to, and I'm not saying that people are dumb, that is not what I'm saying, but I think it just comes to an education and just kind of expanding your horizon on your knowledge of i would even just say the topic of theology just in general um and engaging in brave conversations like if someone was to come and talk to me yes i have an mdiv yes i'm a pastor but i'm not going to be educating you because i think i'm better than you it would be to enter in wholesome conversation to see your point of view and why you are 
using those words? Like, what do you think they mean? Because it helps Mm -hmm. me understand what the situation is so I can then approach the conversation in a way that's not going to become toxic and is not going to hinder their outlook on on Christianity. Because Mm. I think that's where people sometimes fall into that trap of you think you have good intentions when you're telling people, no, 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 this is what they mean. And then they want to rebuttal you. And it just becomes this very messy, unnecessary pot of like gunk that you just you can't clean it. You know, it's like once it's there, it's just stuck there. People don't like where the conversation is going. And so they want to steer away and they avoid it. And we don't mm-hmm. we shouldn't mm-hmm. avoid it. It's something that should not be avoided. Joshua, what was your original question? How does the idea of originalism fit into the biblical narrative and the Christian tradition? Like how, so, yeah. how do we let the idea of originalism reconcile with our faith? Oh, man. Because we've used, we've used a few phrases that I'm just kind of mulling on now. Like we've, we've used phrases of, do we need to go back there? Or can we reclaim something mm-hmm. of the past? Which, in an apolitical way, that's still, that's conservative in its ideology, right? Like you want to you wanna hold on to something in the past. At least right. that's the way I interpret it, right? Well, I think that's true sometimes, but I think it's, uh, I think it's more neutral sometimes. Like we all are wrestling with the same thing. Like for instance, in the U.S., regardless of what we think politically, we have the Constitution, mm. and like mm-hmm. that existed in the past at some point, and we have to reconcile what the authors sure. meant, and yeah. we're trying to communicate. And in the same way, it's so hard. I think no matter where we're at theologically, we still have to wrestle with the biblical text, and we have to reconcile with. Like the authors, at some point, were speaking to a very specific audience at a specific point in time, and therefore, on some level, we're not speaking to us. Mm. That's so. That's so hard to do. Like I know this started with the idea of the Constitution. Like the difference in my mind is the Constitution. We can point to dates on a Gregorian calendar that are that is like mm. the Constitutional Convention started here and it ended yeah, here, true. and those those dudes walked out with a document that we now have enshrined right. right as the law of the land but the bible has no such concreteness to it uh, well some some would disagree with that well yeah like it does that. have some concreteness but i see what you're saying that there's not as it's, much recent concreteness yeah it's sure. it's it's a library of documents all bound in what is called the holy book right right written over thousands of years and not a certain year exactly thousands like that's important so, to emphasize <laughs> <laughs> thousands okay so since we're talking about the bible again let me ask you this question do you think that searching for the original quote-unquote meaning of the text mm-hmm. like contextualizing it trying to figure out author's intent and like trying to really dig down and think what does this verse or this chapter or this book mean what is it trying to get across do you think searching for the original meaning downgrades other methods of reading the Bible in any way. Mm. What are mm. what are other methods that you do you have any in mind? Because now we're um, now we're getting into hermeneutics. We're getting into hermeneutics yeah. now. Right. We are slightly getting to hermeneutics, even though I don't think we have to stay here. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like devotional or contemplative readings of the Bible, like Lectio mm-hmm. Divina. Mm. I think we can fit in there. Okay. Or I think you could also fit in uh liturgical readings of the Bible, like using Mm. the biblical text as liturgy. I think that that's a very different way of using the Bible. And I would argue a study because it's like a repetition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I guess why I think this question is important for context, (laughs) context. Nice. Is that like the number of people throughout history that have used the Bible to back up something that they think is true is just like innumerable. Like literally millions of people have done that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hitler, Copernicus, Galileo, like everyone, everyone's done it. Yeah. I've done it. You guys have done it. So I think that we need like some sort of basis to be able to say like, uh, that's not what that means. Like if you read that in context, that's probably not what the tattoo verse is trying to get at. There's probably something deeper. Mm. Like mm-hmm. there's something beneath the skin. <laughs> there's something beneath the skin <laughs> Stop. of like what this verse is trying to say. And I think we need some sort of basis like to be able to say, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That seems like it. But I also start, don't think you st- I also don't think that searching for the original meaning 
if we can get there, I don't think that necessarily downgrades other ways of reading the Bible. It may enhance it and it may just not do anything, you know, Hmm. it may just be. What do you think? What do you think we should do with the phrase about God's original design or God's intent? That's very hard. That's that's hard right there. Um, You're asking me to answer a question about what I think God like. I I don't know. (laughs) Because do we really do we (laughs) really know? Do we really know God's intent? I don't think we always do. Could you? you? Know, I think we have a personal understand. Like we may have a personal understanding, but it may not be in line with other people's. And then that's again where we fall into this very easy spiral of debates that turn ugly. Mm. Right, so using the word original, my brain just brought up for me a theolo- like theology of original sin, and then it brought me back Ooh. to. Brought me back to Genesis. So I'm actually not going to yeah. go down the original sin train here, but this is what got me to Genesis. So okay, permit me to think out loud for a second. I have been in love with Genesis 1 and 2 mm-hmm. for a good number of years now. I don't, I, like, it's hard to say that you shouldn't be, but I mean, something we classically hear is the story us as humans tell for some reason only starts in Genesis 3. Like we start with a fall. We start with sin entering the world through disobedience and realizing we're naked and feeling shame and whatnot. But I mean, so if we want to get back to what was God's original intent, flipping two chapters back and saying, hey, we had paradise, we had a garden. But so the the word paradise indicates a walled garden. And even in the wall, like the wall either couldn't keep the crafty serpent out that sold the fruit or the serpent was there the whole time. And even in the, in the paradise, in the walled garden, in the perfect place, a creature like the serpent was, was there. So like the concept of original sin and the fall in general becomes really hazy. Like to me, the corners of it kind of are shaved off. But so we start with walled garden and we get kicked out of the garden and you know, the biblical narrative draws us a story of exile to empire, liberation and exodus, wandering in the wilderness, finally coming to the promised land. And yet we still mess up the promised land because that's how we are. We try judges, we try kings, we get carried off by more empire, and eventually we get Jesus, right? And the the main thing I'm going for here is in Revelation, when the vision for human flourishing is recast as a new shining city coming down from heaven. And we're told that her gates will never be shut. Yeah, that's definitely a parallel. Like gates, gates aren't built to keep all the people in. It's to keep enemies out. So the walled garden still failed in its project of keeping out the dangers of temptation or the crafty serpent who had some wisdom to offer. Cause that's the other thing that's been tripping me out about Genesis one and two is that Hebrew symbolism like serpents represented wisdom i just mm-hmm. learned mm-hmm. yeah divination oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. fortune telling right yeah. so so now we have we have a city given to john the revelator and her gates will never be shut it's like the walls come down even in the new paradise and it's not even mm-hmm. paradise then because the meaning of paradise is a walled garden steven 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 i am so <laughs> glad <laughs> That you just brought us back to Genesis, and I just yes. poured myself a beer to reward myself because oh, you got you. there on your own. One of my <laughs> questions that I wrote down was, you sort of like skirted around this, but you didn't quite say it. I think that a lot of people, and Christians included, have this idea that original, for some reason, means like the best it could have been, mm, and yes. original is perfect. And I think we have that idea when we apply it to the Garden of Eden. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we have this in our mind that like God's original design must have been perfect and like everything it ever could have been. But like Revelation gives us like something even beyond that. Yeah. Even though it was quote unquote paradise in the beginning. So here's a question. Should Christians be vegan and strive to be vegan because of God's original design? If that's the way it was in the garden, is that what we should be seeking? Oh, oh, I want to say no, only because I love bacon. (laughs) Okay, well, I love bacon too. But I think you bring something valid because even just looking at 
Genesis in the Christian Bible, it can be different than how we want to see it. You know, like I I had a, this issue with someone in my church who I refer to the Old Testament as, you know, the first five books, the Hebrew Bible. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's the Old Testament. And oh, I was yeah. I was taken aback by that because we need to acknowledge our roots as Christians. And so mm. I think I think mm. the Jewish tradition has something going when they, you know, when they eat something kosher and and are upholding mm. some of these traditions and these standards that we're so quick to just kind of laugh at. I think that mm. there's mm-hmm. something going for them that we need to acknowledge and appreciate. So hmm. as much as it pains me to think about never eating a steak again, I don't think it would hurt to to do that. I mean, there would definitely be some repercussions because then we would have an overflow of mammals and then like hunting, like, you know, we could utilize it for not as a means of getting food, but just as a means of preparing for shelter or for whatever. But, oh, Oh, I okay. Don't know. I like your point about like we can still honor the past and like where we came from. I like yeah. your point about that. Yeah. But I don't think you're hedging your bet on we should do that because it was the original intent. No, I don't. No. Right. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, should we seek out what we had in the garden and what we had originally because it was original? Because uh, I think, I, I guess why I'm asking that is I think people assume that because it was original, that's therefore an obligation that we need to get back to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So my, my answer about getting back to what the early church looked like in acts, that definitely sounds like, Hey, this is where, this is the way it was originally when, you know, a religion started being built around Jesus Christ. But now, but now my answer is hell no, because, (laughs) because I like, what I just laid out there, I, I legitimately think that even God, even God's vision of the, of the perfect place, the good place, I mean, that's a show we could talk about, but, um, (laughs) Mm. God's, God's vision of, of the place beyond death and where all tears will be wiped away and joy abounds and reunions happen. Like it's, it's something different than what we're given originally, like walled garden to thriving urban city with, mm. with no gates to keep anyone out. So I, I even think the ideal evolves from the first to the last chapter of the Bible. And I think that provides us a trajectory right. to hop onto, like we're hopping onto forgive, forgive the, the politicized right. word, but like we're given an opportunity to hop onto something of a, like a progressive stream of learning how to be human. Mm. Mm. Well, when we kind of even see that in Jesus, like you've heard it said, but now I say to you, this is what it means. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, I, I agree with you, Stephen. I think that the Bible itself tells us we're not supposed to go back to that original paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the meat example, we see Peter. I mean, we could talk about the ethics of veganism. I think that's oh, a separate discussion. I'm so glad you're bringing it, up this like Peter that vision. vision. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That vision yeah. with Peter where God says, like, don't call... Don't call unclean what I've called clean. Yes. And a lot of people use that as the the justification for it's quote unquote okay to eat things non-kosher. Right. And it's ethically okay, according to the Bible, to eat meat. I think that's a separate discussion, but I think that that in itself poses the conclusion that we're not supposed to go back to the garden's ideal. And then that's later confirmed in Revelation that like what happened before, just because it was the original does not mean that that's the way it should always look. Yes. And I think that that's my conclusion with the church concept, too, that just because the way the early church looked in Acts, it was oh. a very specific way. Oh. And just because I might like it for a couple different reasons, because I'm kind of on the same page with you, Stephen. Doesn't necessarily mean. I'm not convinced mean. that that's the place we should end up forever. So where should we end up then? Like, what does that look like? Well, I think I'm on the same track with you, Stephen, that like, I think the Bible itself is giving us more of a trajectory more yes. of a more of a curve than a straight line that like this is where like god is leading us somewhere well and yeah. it's not just in the past it's a leading it's a path like jesus calls his whole thing he calls it the way he doesn't call it the answer 
or like yeah the final resting yeah. place he calls it the path to walk mm-hmm. well and i kind of think about the same thing in terms of like if we're gonna search for the original quote-unquote meaning of the biblical text i think we can like talk about that scholarly and historically like oh mm. there is there is this context around this chapter or like this is probably what it's referring to in their culture like we can talk about that but if we like only stay there mm. it like doesn't mm. lead us into like absorbing yeah the text for our own personal lives we just kind of remain like, stagnant it, and we're yeah, yeah it feels like we're back to hermeneutics there because you can you can do your research around the context and the historicity you can pull extra biblical texts to see okay what was it like to be a first century roman what it, what would this phrase mean to someone hearing this at the time like you can do all the the factual work if you need which to which i think is completely important it is but only in the way that it allows you to map a principle of how to act and love and speak more like jesus does right mm. so like you're you're ooh but that goes back to jesus as our hermeneutic right right yeah yeah i think that that's a better concept than like the idea of original things yeah. being the ideal right and maybe that was like, the whole point just because god created it a certain way in the garden does not mean that's what we should strive for mm. right like that's i think that's a broken logic cuz otherwise the story would have ended we wouldn't have needed and that could even in itself could be a di- like an argument um, or an episode. What would it, what would Jesus's point of existence would have been then? Because God could have found another means of salvation or having us return to a new or better paradise, but that's not mm. the case. So I completely agree. Yeah, like Jesus doesn't come back and say, "Okay, everybody, take off your clothes." I open the garden. Everybody, again. stop eating meat. Yeah, this is the only way to live. Right. This is how we get back. We just have to be exactly the way we were in the garden. Do and you remember what you did thousands place. of years ago? Yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not mean to give a well, POTUS impression there. That was uh, that was not intentional. I'm sorry. Um, okay. So here's another thing I was thinking about. I really like where we're going with this. So I'm curious to see what, what you guys think about this. You know the phrase "in the world, but not of the world." Oh, yes, unfortunately. I believe I believe that comes from Jesus, but I don't think it's a direct quote. Do you know for sure? I'm on it. Okay, Emily's checking it out. Emily had some opinions. That, you could hear it in her voice just yeah, now. Yeah, you did hear some opinions. <laughs> wow, um, do you think that that kind of thinking, the in the world but not of the world thinking, do you think that that is a byproduct of originalism? Or do you think that it's just reinforced by originalism? Wow. Um, oh. I think it's pro. I I think it's enforced. Sure. I I have thoughts, but first I want to. So Please yes, tell me your thoughts. Jesus was the one who said that he was actually speaking to John when using that using that phrase. Okay. Cool. Uh, so Stephen, to answer your question about my uhing to that phrase is, <laughs> I have heard it used as a almost spiritual get out of jail free card like oh because you're saved you can now like you're you're never gonna sin again really yes believe it or mm. not wow. and it and i know it it's just crazy to think that it's almost telling people like you're you're in the world but not of the world is a way of saying yes you are inhabiting the world but you don't need to worry about the values and the things going on around you 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 can distance yourself from that um, because you're no longer sinning, and I just don't, I don't mm. agree with that. Mm. Does it and have to do? <laughs> yeah. So we use mm. an episode back. We use the idea of do Do you think a a theology of the world that would see everything as a smoking plane going down, and we have to sh- spread the parachutes out and be like, everyone, get ready to jump ship? Like, is that a little bit of this? Like, does it feel escapist to you? It does. Yeah. Okay, because that, that's so something how do you I've make heard sense of that phrase without being escapist. Uh, the way it's the, under. Mm. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. The way the way I think of it is like playing my favorite video game. Honestly, like playing. Okay, so playing Zelda Breath mm. of the Wild on the Nintendo. I'm using the controller. I am, for all intents and purposes, I am inhabiting the character of Link as the Hyrule hero, right? And I'm going around the world. 
defeating enemies and rescu- rescuing Zelda from the tower. So I'm like, I'm in the world, but me, Steven, as the as the person who is anchored in a different dimension, I'm not of the world. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I get to I get to operate with another with a different understanding, knowing that you know, like that's a simulation or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but that feels escapist. I don't think we can apply that I, metaphor. I see it to as Christianity. I mm. see it as we have we can choose whether or not to like live in the world that is corrupt and dark, um, like that. We have that choice. Like we can either fall into that and continue on our way, or we can choose not to and make a commitment that we have power in Christ. Like and and to know that we're not alone and that's why we have community. Like you can be an inhabitant of this world, but you don't have to fall into corruption and evil and hatred. You can stand out and mm. walk the way mm. of love and truth and compassion and still be a member of this cosmos. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because like I don't think Jesus says it close to where he says the in the world but not of the world thing. But like if we compare this to where Jesus says to fulfill the laws, to love God and love your neighbor. Like yeah. if we take that as the crux of Jesus's message of the kingdom of God, that this is God's intent for humanity. Then I think that that really changes the in the world, but not of the world mm. interpretation. Right. It, yeah. Mm. I think like it, it would turn like it if on being its head. in the world, but not of the world doesn't mean escapism, but it means we're here to love people, not to just uh, like wish that we were in an original paradise i think that really changes yeah and it makes me think of there's the story and i don't remember exactly which gospel um and i can probably look it up later um but there's the story of you know give to caesar what is caesar's you know you can fall into the you can fall into the world where you solely care about power and money and dominance and jesus is saying like hey leave that behind like you can give that to whom it belongs to this is what God is asking of you instead. And it, it goes mm-hmm. above and beyond what the world is asking us to participate in. Yeah. Cause the other thing we get to map onto this is like this escapist. Well, so I'm in the world, but I'm not, I'm not of the world. Ultimately I'm, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to kick it with a, with a dope party up there. You know, it's like, it's a now, big, big house. Oh, that's a good song. Don't. <laughs> Don't DC talk. <laughs> Wait, no, was don't. that DC talk? I don't know. Not DC talk. I don't know. I don't remember who it is. But, I know uh, who it's by, but I won't. It will okay. move on. It's fine. Just name drop. Go ahead. You already interrupted no, me. No, keep going, Stephen. <laughs> keep going, Stephen. <laughs> I think. I think, especially with this escapism conversation, like end times theology has to be mapped onto that because, like, I'm in the world, but I don't. I'm not of the world. Ultimately, my because my allegiance is not of the world. I'm okay if it all just like burns down because Mm, mm -hmm. i'm not staying Mm -hmm. here you know which that's there's there's one of those things where the context and the original messaging around gehenna and afterlife shale hades all that like that i believe is where something was lost in translation okay you bring up a really good point actually i was gonna go here with a different question actually okay i think that if you're listening to this, it might sound like we've been ragging on originalism, like the idea that there's original <laughs> meaning, but I'm about to flip that upside down for you. Because I think you're right, Stephen, that there, like, we will find better truth if we like, actually dig down to what was actually meant by the text. Like, I do think contextualization and historicity is very important in scholarship. Right. I agree. So let me ask you this question. Do you think healthy originalism is just radicalness like the idea that radical actually just means like back to your roots like radish and radical come from the same root word it just means root like radicalness doesn't mean like extreme it just means like rooted like back to your roots back to the origins so like i think we can agree that like originalism can be used healthily and unhealthily like it can be used like hitler used it to be like I think that the original Aryan race was the best race. Like original means perfect, but we can, I think we can use it healthily also. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yes. I definitely think we can, but I'm back to, well, Josh, building on something you said, like we, we have to keep in mind that 
the Bible, if if the conversation stays in the Bible, we have to come back to the fact that ultimately it is trying to convey a spiritual truth. So right. a healthy originalism and like pulling extra biblical contextual clues from other texts and whatnot, where, you know, we're pulling together the facts and um, what we know about the culture of the time. We're pulling all these things in to inform again, like the spiritual principle that we get to lift out. And I think that spiritual principle, if we do the work, uh, the work of healthy originalism is like the root of what was trying to be communicated. Do you think that I'm kind of forming this question out loud, so help me out here. Do you think that original design, like God's ideal, is the same thing as orthodoxy? Or do you think that people interchange them? I think Ooh. people interchange them. But I, I don't think they're I equivalent. Think. I do not think they're equivalent. Okay, so what would be the difference? I think orthodoxy is man-made. Oh, okay. Orthodoxy is... But did, are you trying to discount it by saying that? Maybe, a little bit, but I mean... Okay. I mean, this is this is a late time to introduce the concept here, but well, I'm thinking of orthodoxy as like God is Trinity, like really basic early Christian constructs, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like I think God, I think people use the term God's design or like God's original ideal uh, when they relate to the biblical text and when they're trying to perpetuate certain like very specific doctrines. Sure, Trinity Trinity is a good example though because that. That concept had to be theologized by man to be right. arrived at. It's never explicitly taught or mm-hmm. spelled or you, out in the Bible. Exactly. Right. Like we're not well, we're not given an amendment. On. Yeah. So in that way, I think that orthodoxy is still man-made. But yes, maybe I'm not willing to say that that's that equals it should be discounted or trusted less because. So again, this is a very late time in the episode to introduce the idea, but when we come to the Bible... I thought you guys were going to get to this way before, so if sorry. We have, if oh, we sorry. have a view of an errancy in mind, mm-hmm. then it would be easy to say, Bible written by God equals perfect, orthodoxy built up by man equals fallible. Mm. Mm. But if you don't approach the Bible as an errant or infallible... Uh- I don't think people who think the Bible are without error think that orthodoxy is wrong. Is that what you're saying? No, no, I'm just, I'm just, I. Or do you mean a, just like more subject to error and Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a psychology at play if you approach the Bible as an inherently perfect document, mm. inherently inerrant, right? Versus if you view it as an inspired text, like sure. men... And apostles, disciples were inspired by the Holy Spirit in them. And they wrote these inspired texts to us that we can now learn Mm. spiritual principles by lifting Mm -hmm. them out after doing the healthy work of originalism on it to make sure we get what Paul was trying to get at, you know, like Mm. in one of his Mm -hmm. letters. Yeah, that just that just has a I don't know why I thought of this example, but maybe this will help a little bit. Sure. I just thought of the example of a recipe, like a baking recipe. It would be kind of dumb of us to like st- like stick our foot in the mud and debate whether or not the person who wrote the recipe means like whatever the recipe has written. Like if we're like stuck in debating mm. like, well, when they wrote 10 grams of salt, did they mean Malden salt or did they mean pink Himalayan or did they mean ground mm. salt or like what did they mean? <laughs> like when right. did they write this? Did they write this before there was international trade? And or did they write this after we had like discovered that if you grind it a certain size, it changes the density of the pastry. Right. Yeah. Like it would be kind of dumb if we like just like only found ourselves stuck in debating the recipe versus like acting out the recipe. Sure. Mm. And then learning from like, that. We would find out whether or not it worked if we like bake the recipe. And I think that that's where I'm like really finding myself still thinking about this question like we will find out the truth if we like act it out and find out whether or not it actually matches up with Jesus yeah mm-hmm. and to yeah. me that what that's what makes the most sense in terms of like what's the original intent is 
if we like stray too far away from the idea that the Bible is trying to communicate spiritual truth that leads us to Jesus and not yeah. other truths that might be scientific or historical or biographical, mm. even though it might communicate some of those truths. But if we get too far away from the idea of it's trying to communicate spiritual truth, I think that we will distract ourselves from acting out the faith that we find ourselves having in the personhood of Jesus. I like your recipe example. Does that sound example. too far off? No, no, no. And I like that you brought up the recipe example because it reminds me of, let's say you have a recipe and you're given the instructions, you know, preheat your oven at this temperature, you measure this and this and this. And then when it gets to a part where it's like, sift the flour and sugar together and someone says, well, I don't know what that means, so I'm not going to do it. Mm. And then they continue on with the recipe. They have their final product and they're not pleased with it. And they say, well, this recipe wasn't right. I followed mm. everything in this recipe, except they skipped a very important step, which was sifting the flour and sugar. And I think the same goes for how we interpret the Bible. Well, I think that's exactly why we have to have like a healthy idea of originalism, because we have to be able to say, oh, no, you skipped a step. You didn't yeah. sift the flour like it said to sift the flour. Do you know what that means? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I think we have to be able to, especially if the text is going to be a very central point in our Christianity. And I think it has to be because it has been. So we have to like figure out how to wrestle with it. But um, I think we have to be able to like point out to people, no, like the way you're using it. It doesn't mean that, I don't think. I, I think we also have to be careful of, well, I don't like that recipe because it's asking me to sift flour, so I'm going to go look for one that doesn't require me to sift flour. I think we mm. fall into that. We're reading the Bible. We say, well, I don't like this part of the Bible, so I'm just going to gloss over it, and mm. the rest of the recipe is fine. The rest of the Bible is fine. Emily, how did you get past people who like, were trying to use the Bible to tell you you couldn't have tattoos. How did you, um, well, like, how did you do that? Because I don't have tattoos. I've never had to deal with 19, that. 19, 20-year-old me would immediately jump into the, oh, well, did you eat shrimp earlier today? Did you eat clothes <laughs> made of blended cloth? Do you have your hair in Wait, a braid? did you say did you eat clothes? <laughs> no. Did you wear blended oh, cloth? Okay. <laughs> um, gotcha. I would just, I would play the game of the Bible thumper. And mm. as I got like older, try to use the Bible against them. Yes. And as I got older, I learned that that was not life giving. Like if they were doing that to me and it wasn't uh. life giving, why was I doing the same to them? It just didn't make sense. And mm. so I quickly learned to hear the person out and to just engage in as much as it made me feel uncomfortable because one, they never ask me what my tattoos mean. Um. They just they just want to point out that I have them and they just want to leave it at that and they don't take the time to ask. And so I then take it upon myself to do the hard part and to ask them questions and to engage on their level and in the end to just say we can agree to disagree, um, but I hope you judge me for my character and not because I have 10 tattoos. Like, <laughs> I am beyond the mm. ink that is on my flesh. I am more than just the piercings on my face. There is so much to a person that lies beyond the skin, the surface. You know, we as bodies have so much to tell. And the fact that you are going to reprimand me for a choice that I made because you want to use biblical interpretation to back it up. I'm willing to engage in conversation, but I'm not going to fall into that trap because it's just toxic. I know of a pastor. I believe he's in Canada. His name is Bruxy KV. Oh, he might not be in Canada, actually, now that I think about it. Don't quote me on that. But he has a tattoo of on his arm. It says Leviticus. Ooh, is it eighteen nineteen or is it Leviticus nineteen eighteen? It's one of those, but it's the I'm it's on the it. one verse that says, like, do not mark your skin. He's a pastor. And it usually sparks conversation with atheists. Because they're like, oh, yeah, nice tattoo, real outdated, man. Like, that's that's funny. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing. I think that this verse is taken out of context. And he uses it as, like, a discussion yeah. point for him the to, like, delve verse, into, like, this is why I don't think this is forbidding us. The verse is Leviticus 
Oh, dang it. I was so close. I got the nines and the eights right. I think what's so neat is when Jesus calls us to love our neighbor in order, and I'm not saying in order to love someone, you have to know them because you can love Mm. people that you've never met. But I think Mm. in order to live into truly loving someone, you have to take the time to understand them. And that's Mm. what I love about my job as a pastor is I'm able to get to know people and, and love them for who they are and to love the journey that they're on. And so when people ask me about my tattoos, I'm reminded of pastors that I've met that they used to be in biker gangs and they have all these Mm. tattoos and they share their life story of, you know, I was in a dark place or, you know, Mm. I was in really rough times and God carried me through. So I have these, these things on me to commemorate, you know, where I've been and who I want to be. And I think we can do the same in Mm. how we approach reading the Bible. And so hands down, I agree. We need to have a healthy definition and understanding of originalism if we are to carry on what we are called to be as Christians. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Whoa. So wait, (laughs) wait, wait, hold on. I've never thought about it like that. I, oh my gosh, hold on. I've never thought about like thinking of the Bible and like Genesis, Exodus, like wherever we're thinking about. I've never thought about it as like similar to tattoos. Like this is where I've been. This tells my story. This is why I got these. This is where our tradition has been. This is why we were telling those stories at that certain time. But this is where we are now. And now that you know, now that you can, now that you can open it and unfold and read and ask questions and inquire and discern, you can, you can begin this journey of authentic love and you can begin this authentic journey of exploration and understanding in ways that we may not fully understand if we don't otherwise. Okay. So, Mm. so what Josh just had an epiphany of is that the body tells the story of the person's transformation, right? And they get to point back Mm -hmm. to that tattoos and be like, yeah, when I got that tattoo, I was in the darkest place in my life. And then I, when I got this tattoo, Uh. that's when that changed. Right? So the story, the word becomes a body. John one, one in the beginning was the word who we interpret to be. Jesus becomes a body. Hmm. Right. Like the mm. so this is definitely <laughs> definitely something that should have been brought up in the last 65 minutes. But when we say the word of God, like Christians, I think our our new mandate coming from the Hebrew Bible and entering into the story of the Gospels is that the word put on flesh, the word like we Became have a, we have a flesh. Bible that gets to tell us the story that gets us to the body. But then the body carries the story into death and resurrection. And then even the body after ostensibly an ascension, the body becomes a spiritualized idea of us becoming the body. Mm. Holy goodness. Okay, but I also like what we didn't do. I like that what we're not saying is that Judaism and the Old Testament was just Christianity without Jesus. Mm, That that is so important. I like that what we're not saying is that Jesus was just the new tattoo put on the Old Testament tattoo to cover it up. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely not. I like not. that yeah. that's not what the metaphor is. That rather the Old Testament and the Christian tradition and the New Testament is just the the story of how we got to where we are. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I like that. Because I think you brought up a really good point earlier. I'm going to say it again. I think you were right, Emily, that like it's important to honor where we've come from and that there is this good idea of this was the original point. This is like where we started. And that's not a bad thing that mm-hmm. that's that that's good to acknowledge and that's healthy. But we also don't have to then conclude that that's where we have to go again right. to be able to have any sort of healthy idea of faith. Yeah. And I love that Emily Emily gives me a gift every time she she asks the question, is it life-giving? Because that, yeah. so if we're going to talk about originalism, and now that we've mapped the whole story onto bodies, and Jesus' body being one of them, like, when he's asked by the Pharisees, who I do think can be mischaracterized, but when, when they ask him, like, what's the greatest commandment? 
it, like they're they're still holding on to their little their little scorecard and like the little like the golf pencil right and they're like which one is the best like how can i rack up the most points hmm. and and he's like love your neighbor as yourself and like oh my gosh i did a uh i hmm. i sat with that text for for a full-on like lectio divina session a while ago and in my mind like my imagined my imagination gave me that idea of like the scorecard and the golf pencil. But then I like when he mm. says, love your neighbor as your, or like love God and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. This is the distillation of the law and the prophets. Like I, I just imagine Jesus under his breath being like, didn't think I'd have to spell that one out for you. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is it. You guys, this is it. I think Emily, I don't remember which episode you brought it up in, but I remember you bringing up something like the question shouldn't always be what would Jesus do, but like what would what would Jesus do or like what should we do in yeah. our current 21st century yeah point of view. And what is life yeah. giving? And that Jesus still gives us the tool and the the, the rule of thumb or you could call it the heuristic for mm-hmm. what we should do, but it the answer isn't always found in the text in the original meaning always. Right. And to be okay with that, I think is right. really important because it can be, at least I know for me when I was younger, if I didn't find an answer in the way I was looking for in, or in a way that I had hoped for, I thought it was wrong or I thought that it, that it couldn't be that way. Um, right. But really, it's okay. And to, to really full-heartedly be comfortable with that notion is really important because that's how you move forward. That's how you, mm. that's how mm. you grow. And that's how you are able to engage with other people because you know that there are other ways of engagement. There are mm. other ways of living and being, and to know you are still being authentic to who you are and to not have all the answers right there. Cause we don't have all the answers either. I think Stephen, you brought up earlier that Jesus calls himself the way and not the answers and that it's mm. I really liked that actually I think that that's good to end on because like mm. I, I think you're right that Jesus is still calling us to think for ourselves and like think in our current place and time and not just like give us another set of laws about what exactly to do down to the minutia but mm. he's like giving us the general love your neighbor mm-hmm. love God and all that you do right that's the distilled law. Wow. Mm. Oh, I love that. I really like that. I really like that we had this conversation. I think that this is going to set us up for having a lot more pointed, really specific conversations after having this general conversation about like how do mm. we think about the Bible and our yeah. Christian tradition. Yeah, because we've danced around like it for what, quite a few. What it originally meant yeah. and like where we're at now. Yeah. Because start- yeah, we touched on quite a few things and I'm excited to see where this Where it goes, yeah. Now. Yeah. Very good. Very good. To wrap up here, we want to say a big heartfelt gratitude to Louis Zong for the use of his song in full color off his album here that we get to use as our theme song. Also, if uh, you like this conversation, what you're hearing here, uh, please rate us and review us on Apple iTunes. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please say hey. Uh, you can email us at theravelpod at gmail.com. Or if you're not already following us, we are on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Um, and we post weekly discussion questions there. We love to hear what you guys think. We all hop in there and discuss along with you. So please say hey, don't be a stranger. I Emily. Well, oh, Stephen, please go ahead. I was wondering if you would allow me to break the mold and if I could offer one of my daily prayers as the benediction. Oh. Because it's been sitting sure. with me this whole conversation. Yes. So this is something. Oh, please. This is sorry, Emily. Do you have anything to say before we sign off? Then, because this is usually your last word. I just love where this is going. We, as Christians and as people, are engaging in authentic conversations, and that we're doing this together and having these kinds of conversations is is very vital. Mm. So just know mm. that we do. We love hearing from all of you. I know you all inspire me as a pastor. Uh, so thank you for giving me the go-go juice to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and a Reverend Emily Sermons podcast coming soon, correct? 
coming soon, hopefully by Advent. We'll see. Or even after. But yes. Fantastic. Okay, so this is something I pray every morning and every evening. This is commonly billed as the prayer of St. Francis. Mm, I'm ready. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. And where there's darkness, light. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. I love that prayer so much.